and welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and today I am very pleased to present my guest, Mia Rosella. Mia is a writer in the Nickelodeon Writing Program, and she is a phenomenal person. She has so many awesome life experiences, and she has worked for so many amazing places, and I know that all of you are really going to enjoy what she has to say today about working hard, pursuing your dreams, learning new skills, and just writing, rewriting, and rewriting to get where you want to go in the industry. So without further ado, I am pleased to present episode 55, Interview with Mia Rosella. My guest today is Mia Rosella, and Mia is a writer in the Nickelodeon Writing Program. Mia, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. It is my pleasure, Angela. I'm very excited to talk to you because you have done a plethora of work, not only for Nickelodeon, but various other studios, which we'll get into. And you grew up in Texas, and I did too. Ooh, nice. Yeah, I grew up in Houston and Sugar Land, and you're from College Station, which I have been to. Oh, you have? Yeah, when I was looking at colleges, because I toured... um, you know, I toured Texas A&M and University That's of Texas. That's the main thing we have there, yeah, is, is A&M. Did you go to a potato shack while you were there? I did not get to go to That's the, the other shack. only thing there. <laughs> <laughs> but I love potato shack. Yeah, but I remember when I was touring the school, everybody was super friendly. And I thought, it was a friendly place. So what was it like, though, growing up there? I really liked growing up in Texas. The weather is not great, obviously. It's very humid heat, but I quite enjoyed it. I wasn't born there, but all of the time that I grew up that I can really remember I spent there, and I went to high school there. I didn't come out to California until I came to college. But I really like living kind of around a lot of nature. Now as an adult, I love being in the city and going to all the things, being able to walk to stuff. But I think as a kid growing up around a lot of nature was really fun because you can go off into the woods and explore and imagine things. You get left to your own devices. And I grew up with my younger sisters and my cousin also. And we all went to like the same school so we could go play in the woods. It was fun. I liked it. So where were you born? Because you mentioned that you were not originally from Texas. I was born in Des Moines, Iowa, but I don't really remember it that much because I came to Texas for third grade. So I just kind of remember vaguely snow and not having to do any of the hard work associated with snow, just like, you know, having fun and sledding in the snow and falling over. But that's kind of mostly all I remember. And I grew up with my cousins there, too. So, like, I remember playing with them. We are also in the woods there. It's funny because my parents are like city people, <laughs> but I just grew up around nature a lot. So I feel like I kind of get some of both worlds because I get their their sensibilities, mm-hmm. but they're also like displaced into nature. <laughs> so I'm not like really a great woods person. Like I'm not great at being in nature, but I but I like it. You like it? You can freak like, <laughs> Yeah. It looks nice. Yeah. I'm like, this is fun. I'm allergic to a lot of it, <laughs> oh, no. but it's great. <laughs> That's really good. So as a kid, did you used to you know, draw all the time or write your own stories or plays or any of the fun, creative stuff? I definitely always knew I wanted to be a writer as a kid. I think a lot of kids who are like kind of allergic to a lot of things outdoors or are not really super athletic or don't have a lot of activities outdoors do tend to gravitate towards the arts or writing or something like that. At least, I don't know if that's really true, but a lot of people that I've talked to in the studio definitely 
seem to have that in common. I always wanted to write, and I didn't really know that writing for TV was a thing as a kid. You don't really think about it. So I thought that I wanted to be a novelist or a poet. And so I would write little poetry, and I would write little stories. I would turn all of my school assignments into stories because I just really liked that. I really liked, I was really into the Redwall book series. Oh, those are so good. Yeah, Brian Jakes, oh. so good, RIP. Those were really formative books for me as a kid. And so I got it in my head that I want to write novels like that. I loved animals as a kid, so they really appealed to me in that sense. And like, it doesn't talk down to you. It's like these really epic stories. So I even wrote this Redwall fanfic that was this epically long, like as long as a book, Redwall (laughs) fanfic. That's wonderful. So I was really into it. I didn't really think about writing differently other than sometimes I'd get into poetry and stuff. But I didn't think of it differently until I graduated from (laughs) elementary school and went into high school. And then I kind of became like a theater kid in high school. And our high school had this really good theater program for some reason, even though it's just like random college station, Texas. They had a great theater program where they had a playwriting course. And they had this program where you could write and direct a one-act play. And so I did that two years. And, you know, I wrote the play, directed it, and it was put on by other students in that class. It was like advanced theater. It was one of those theater kids that took theater like every year <laughs> and then spent all my lunches in the theater room. I know a lot of those kids in high school. Yeah, we're always just like excused from class like, oh, I have to go to the theater right now <laughs> and then you just leave. Because <laughs> we just had like a good community and it was it was a really cool theater program. I'm very surprised as an adult when I learned that that's not normal. But when I started doing those plays, that's the first time I kind of thought about writing not as a novelist, but as something a little different. And then that's what gave me the idea to apply to film school and go that route. All right. How did you choose UC Santa Barbara and then later on UCLA as the schools that you wanted to focus on? Well, when I decided I wanted to go into film studies and do like screen, more like screenwriting and TV writing, I, I did minimal research, but <laughs> my mom is like a really big researchers so you know I would mention something and then she'd come back with like all this school information I had very enthusiastic mom so that's very nice Um, she's enthusiastic about education but I ended up applying to USC and some other schools like uh, Loyola but I got into USC but not for the film program I got in for creative writing, and it wasn't like quite what I wanted to do, and it was very expensive. And I also got into Loyola and UCSB. And my mom, knowing my personality, was like, you shouldn't do USC. That's not the major you even want. Also, probably being a mom was like, that's super expensive. (laughs) That's a private school. And then Loyola also was a private school, so maybe that was in the back of her head when she was dissuading me. So I even went to go look, take a look at it. But, you know, and it's nothing to disparage either of these two schools. It's just kind of like maybe it wasn't the right vibe. Maybe it wasn't going to be a good fit. I'm sure I would have been perfectly happy, but my mom had this suspicion that I would fit in at UCSB, and it's like... I never even visited the campus, but she was very like, I think that that's going to be the best choice for you. And usually I just like argue, (laughs) but for some reason I didn't argue with her and I thought that she was probably right. Whatever like mental loops I went into my head, I ended up also agreeing with her, which is, yeah, rare for a teenager. 
usually <laughs> just automatically <laughs> disagree. I don't recall agreeing with my parents on anything in high school. And really not college. Not until I was like 22. <laughs> I was like, and then suddenly it's like, oh, right. Yeah, that makes sense. You're like, oh, they must have been really annoyed with me. <laughs> but for some reason, I don't know, especially senior year high school, that's when, you know, you're really disagreeing. You're oh, that's, at, that's, at odds. Because you don't, I mean, I don't, I know for me, like, I didn't want to be at home. I didn't want to be in high school. I just wanted to be out. I'm like, I'm ready for college today. Can I go today? Can I just leave? Like, right now, I'm done with all of this. Yeah, like, your parents are feeling emotions about you leaving that maybe they don't want to, like, admit. You're feeling all these things. Like, I need to leave and spread my wings. So, yeah, that's usually, like, I was really at odds and being, like, typical (laughs) at that time. But for whatever reason, I thought, yes, UCSB, that's the one I want to do. I ended up not even applying to... UCLA because I did a tour of their campus but then in the tour they mentioned how like you can go and declare a film major but you won't necessarily get in you can't even really be admitted to the film major until like your third year or something so it's a very competitive undergrad film situation and then even if you went there somebody could be a transfer and come in and take your spot so it's like cutthroat so I didn't even apply to that one yeah But I ended up loving UCSB, so it was like a film and media studies major, and it's very theory-based. They're like a renowned theory school, and all the budget goes to the amazing professors. All the professors there that teach our main, like, curriculum classes are geniuses and really great, and it's a good community because it's not competitive, like maybe how USC or UCLA are, with maybe within the program or with each other (laughs) it was a good neutral zone (laughs) you know when you say like where did you go to school if you say UCLA or USC someone's gonna have an opinion if you say UCSB people are like I had Halloween there it was fun (laughs) so yeah (laughs) the Switzerland of colleges it's just like a really nice non-competitive cooperative environment because it's not it's not one of those huge schools that's right by LA you know I think that when you're in school you should be able to make some mistakes and try new things but I feel like there's a lot of pressure on on UCLA and USC just because they're such good schools I'm sure that the students are very dedicated but also there's a lot of pressure and I feel like my personality flourished better in somewhere where I could try out new things and I wasn't like a very businessy person that was like jonesing to get into the industry because I had just discovered like I want to do that so it was perfect. That's great that you knew yourself well enough at that young of an age to realize, you know, the pedigree is there for these other schools, but for this school, it's also a very well-known school, but you knew yourself well enough to know, I personally would do better here, so I'm going to go here. Because I don't know that many people who are in, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old who are thinking that way. I mean, I should really credit my mom for that one. I don't know if I arrived there naturally. I definitely, my mom was like, I can see you being under a lot of pressure at USC and like to kind of putting that out there. And I guess I agreed with her, but I don't, I should give her credit for prompting that whole realization because I don't know if I wandered there on my own. But it was a good, at least I agreed. At least I didn't fight just for argument's sake and I went there. And I think if I went to a different school, I would be like a totally different person because I'm already like a very neurotic workaholic person and so I think it was good to go to UCSB where there is 
a more thoughtful, like creative element and definitely a social element because the community is like smaller and so you work together a lot. I think I'm a more chill person because I went to a more chill school. They work very hard there, but there's like such a, you know, if you've ever been to Santa Barbara, it's like a really friendly atmosphere. Gorgeous place. Yeah. It's so relaxing. You go and it's like all your stress just leaves your body. It's like, oh, I could just stay forever. Yeah. Yeah. I can't like say enough good things about the school because it's just like a perfect combination of like you work really hard. People are smart because it does take you know, some grades to get in there, but also, like, it's so pleasant and friendly. (laughs) So I liked it. But it is kind of a dead zone, like, after you graduate because it's, like, too relaxing. Like you said, you go there and you're like, I don't want to leave. And after you graduate college, like, that's not the time you want to feel that way. All right. So did you start working right after UCSB or after you went to UCLA? After UCSB, I got a job right out of college in my field, which I thought was great, which was a PA job. It turned out to be not very great. (laughs) It was on a live action feature film, independent film, and it's not like that the film wasn't great. It's just that I learned I really don't like live action production that much. To be fair, that's a hard job. It's a tough job to be that PA on a live action set. But I also could tell like some people are built for set life. And some people are like me and just like want to nest, decorate their cubicle and like be in a place with air conditioning. And so I had a tough time. It was good because it was a learning experience. It was great because I got to know myself better that I could kind of like narrow down that maybe this isn't where I want to spend all my time is like on a set traveling around. But that was my first job out of college. And then I was working. Well, that was actually in Santa Barbara area. And I stayed in Santa Barbara for like a year, but I ended up moving out to L.A. And so I was working in L.A. for a few years, too. So I actually didn't end up going to grad school until much later. So let's talk about the move to L.A. How were you able to make that move and then start working so soon? Well, I kind of had applied to the UCLA MFA screenwriting program and didn't get in a year before. But my advisor in undergrad at UCSB, shout out to Joe Palladino, a great, I'm sure he's made many people's careers from that school. It's a very hands-on advisor, said like, why don't you try out this thing called the UCLA professional program? So I applied to that. It's kind of like night schools and it's just one year and it's taught by like a lot of the same teachers as the MFA. So that kind of helped me move out here because I had a little, it wasn't like I'm working, but I had a little bit of a plan And like I said, my mom is very enthusiastic. Both my parents are very enthusiastic about education. So it's like, even if they didn't have money set aside, like they'll find it. If you, if one of their children wants to be pursuing further education, they like try to help you out. So they helped me out during that initial period because I was like going to go to school. And then I try to just find random jobs (laughs) after that. So, I mean, it is, it's kind of tough. I think people should be honest about when they get, that financial help when they move out here because it is sort of a privileged situation if my parents couldn't have helped me out that year when I decided I want to take those classes. I don't know if I, you know, would have moved out at that time out to the city. It's really hard for people to do it, but it's like I just want to like shout out to the people who actually like move out here without anything. And it's really hard to move to a new city and not have a job lined up. So I know I know a couple friends who graduated and and did that, and I feel very fortunate. 
that I was able to have the transition smoothed along by my folks a little bit and that program too to just like hook you up with a quick community of writers, give you some guidance. I love deadlines because it helps it just not be like this void of forever. Deadlines are a beautiful thing, although they may not seem like it at the time. Yeah. (laughs) That actually makes it so that your project gets finished. Yeah, it gives your life structure. (laughs) I love deadlines, but I ended up writing a couple of scripts because of those deadlines, and then I kind of like found some random jobs, and largely I ended up, like at first I kind of got some like weird little odd jobs. I don't even remember really like what they were. I did some internships at that time too that were like, you know, meet every two days, like for two days out of the week or three days out of the week and do coverage. And then I like got some random coverage writing jobs that like don't pay you very well, that pay you like $50 or something when you like do coverage. Let me actually interject for just a second. For those who may not know, what is coverage? Oh, good interjection. And a good one because a lot of people who are writers will end up doing coverage if they move out here. So when I was doing that UCLA program and I was doing the internships, they were in development. And when you're in development, you get a lot of script submissions from various agents, managers, or connections, or whatever. And the people who are doing coverage are people who are reading the scripts. And then they write up kind of like a review and a summary of the script or whatever other material that is. So it could be a graphic novel or a book, just whatever the IP is. The coverage is kind of the summary of what you read, and usually you give like a consider or pass on it. So you end up reading quite an eclectic (laughs) collection of scripts, and you know, not all of them are good, some of them are good, and it's just kind of so, the executives don't have time to like read every single script. There are hundreds and hundreds of submissions come into these like production companies. So they don't necessarily have time to read all of them. So like either assistants or interns commonly will do some coverage. And then I also worked for like a company that that was doing that. And like there are sometimes companies that will do that for you too. So that's what coverage is. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I've met a couple of people that do that too, but I just want to make sure that people knew because I could just imagine people listening out there going, what is that? <laughs> no, it's a very good question. It's yeah. a very good question, and you probably will do it if you're pursuing writing and moving out to L.A. You will probably do coverage, because if you're a writer and you're trying to get an internship or something, development is usually a good department to get an internship in, and in development, you will write coverage. <laughs> exactly. All right, so you're doing these different jobs. You're writing coverage. You're getting your internships. Yes. So after the internships, which were unpaid and like trying to find random jobs, I ended up getting jobs that I liked a little better. So I I ended up working for this literary manager through like kind of like a freak accident, which is how everyone gets their jobs in L.A., I think. (laughs) One of my friends was working as an assistant at an agency in Santa Monica, and he knew that And this guy who's a literary manager wasn't even working as part of their agency. He just was renting out an office from them. So it was like a very not typical situation. It wasn't even like, oh, someone in my work. It's just like he's just on the floor on the same building. He was like the only person doing that. So it was really good luck for me. My friend said, oh, there's a guy. Are you looking for work? And I was like, yeah. There is a guy who needs help with tech stuff. And he remembered that one of the random jobs I had was that I worked for the Apple store. 
And so he's like, can you help him? Like, I know you worked for the Apple store. I was like, yeah, I'm sure I could. What is it? He's like, I don't really know. I was like, okay, I'll talk to him. I talked to him on the phone, and we met, and we hit it off. We liked each other, good personalities. He was really nice. He wasn't screwing me over, like, trying to pay me, like, nothing. He was, like, a very generous, nice man. And I ended up helping him with, you know, when a lot of people our age will probably have this experience where, you know, like, when something's really obvious to you, how to do it on the computer yep. and you feel like almost bad because <laughs> it's not obvious to the other person right. so it is just a generational thing and this guy is like was, you know is really smart but it's just like we have to be cognizant that we grew up with this stuff and he picked up on it and he gets like the bigger concepts but I just ended up helping him like kind of digitizing his office, like putting things in Dropbox, getting things in the cloud. And I was just doing kind of like tech stuff for him. But he ended up having like a bunch of other random jobs. I was supposed to be just temping for two weeks. And I ended up extending it. And then I ended up becoming his assistant. And then I ended up just like adding more creative things to it and working for him kind of like a consultant. And that literary manager happened to be the literary manager of the Roald Dahl estate. Wow. So I, I, th- I love those stories. Those and, fantastic stories. Yeah, I mean, I think we probably all grew up with them. So I, it was just like so wonderful to be surrounded by that work and those stories, which are very magical and special stories that are so unique in this world. And like my former boss had been the agent of the Roald Dahl estate for like many, many, many years. And so it was really, really cool. And I think that that's probably why it's just like that shared passion helped me stay there. And then my weird kind of knowledge of tech <laughs> uh, helped me stay there. And then at that same time, I had like been making these YouTube videos. Me and my partner in the videos, Omar, we got like added to this YouTube network called, this is like a very roundabout. This is like oh, no, many threads connecting. Yeah. Like it's not, there's not a good way to tell the story because it's all these like random things <laughs> happening. <laughs> at the same time, because that's how it goes. We had gotten added to this network called Geek and Sundry, which is Felicia Day's network. And Felicia Day is like an actress, and she's also like a geek icon. She was in Dr. Horrible as the female love interest and a bunch of other stuff. People know her from Supernatural, <laughs> The Guilt. I love The Guilt. <laughs> Very inspirational. And we had even started making videos like I was never going to make YouTube videos but we both really liked the stuff that Geek and Sundry was doing at the time like they had just come out we're like oh YouTube videos could be that I like that I thought they were just dumb stuff (laughs) like panda sneeze you know (laughs) I like this this is cool it's structured it appeals to me so we're doing that and we had just gotten added to the Geek and Sundry network through this whole long thing there was like a competition aspect and a it was like there was a voting aspect and wow. there was all this stuff. And we got added to this new channel they were doing called the Geek and Sundry Vlogs channel. They were like launching a second channel. So I think kind of that knowledge, being in that space and being in that YouTube space and also just being a huge geek and participating in that like fan culture online and like Apple Store, blah, 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 <laughs> ended up being valuable for the types of projects that my former boss, Michael Siegel, like really wanted to work on was very passionate about. So I ended up being able to plug into that a lot more than either of us probably <laughs> intended. And like, yeah, I ended up kind of, he's such a nice boss and was was very like, once I started doing more 
research and consulting things. He was like, would you like your job title to be this now? Like, it's like, yeah, sure. He's like, yep, whatever you think is the accurate job title. <laughs> and then even when he kind of didn't have as much need for an assistant or that ongoing stuff, because it depends like what's in what's going on with the properties at that at any given time, I ended up being a consultant for him like whenever you know something would pop up so it was very random but that was like I had that job for a while and it definitely helped me figure out that I love children's stories too so it's like these random coincidences that all add up they seem like coincidences and they are but you also kind of like make them (laughs) happen by just being here long enough so I don't want it to be like discouraging like oh it's only coincidences like get you to places no but it's also you had a lot of different interests, and that's important. You had a lot of different interests, and you were pursuing different things that you enjoyed doing. You liked tech, so you worked at the Apple Store. You liked Geek and Sundry and Felicia Day and what they were working on, so you and your friend decided, hey, we can make our own YouTube videos. You wanted to help out your friend who was working for the consultant. so. I feel like it was basically all the things you love doing, and then they all converged. Yes. <laughs> and, were, and then you had a job. Kind but of. But it was from, year, it wasn't like, oh, and then this just magically happened. You had to work on it, I'm sure, for years to get to that point. Yeah, it definitely didn't all happen right away. And again, very thankful for that little cushion transition period where my parents were so kind to help me out. They're like those suffering parents that will be like, it's okay, I don't need to retire. Like, and I'm just like, no, I don't want to take your money. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. I, know that I mean, a lot of us know that. Feeling. I mean, I'm out here. My parents helped me out here, and I'm thankful for their help because if not, it would have taken a lot longer if I'd even be out here at all. So, yeah. You know, like you, I completely appreciate it, and I really respect people, too, that they don't have that, and they just have to figure out a way to get out here. Yeah, yeah, and people do it. Oh, yeah. But I definitely don't think that the ability, you know, the ability to lean on your parents in that beginning should be ignored because I think, mm-hmm. you know, if we don't say that, then the industry will not yeah. <laughs> know. Well, be like, yeah, people are fine. We don't need to pay them, yeah. whatever. It's and like, no, it's a thing. Too, I think, just to know that, hey... You know, we're not magical people. We had help. Yeah. Everyone at some point gets help, either some type of financial help or some kind of encouragement. And there's no shame at all. In fact, it's great when you can say, I was helped and I am thankful for that help. And I am now helping other people. Or I wasn't helped and that's why I'm helping other people. Yeah. And that's like also I really appreciate programs like the diversity programs and stuff that are all about that. That can help relocate you or help people by just giving them some kind of income or guidance even because it's like yeah it's not really fair that it's like I don't come from a wealthy family or anything but at least they were able to help me for a little bit when I moved out and not everyone (laughs) has that probably a lot of people could have that for a little while but Mm -hmm. definitely like some people don't so I definitely appreciate that but I got off topic after that I was scraping it together and and working and it was and it took a while and it wasn't totally magical but I think you said if you're interested in a lot of things and I think you like improve your chances of one of them leading to something if you just are grumpy and don't like things then it's gonna be harder to find stuff that you're excited about I'm excited about a lot of things like I have a lot of passions but I definitely have narrowed narrowed and narrowed as I've progressed (laughs) 
So let's talk about some of the other things that you've done. And I also, I just wanted to make sure that I have the timeline right. And I just want to give a shout out to your YouTube channel too, because I've watched several of the episodes. You wrote geeks, everybody. So you oh no. <laughs> My former life your is former a D-list YouTube celebrity. Yeah, I just thought that was great, because when I met you, I'm like, oh yeah, she's into, you know, she's a writer. That's cool. And then when, you know, you agreed to come on the show, I'm like, okay, let me do my research and find out what she's been up to. I'm like, dude, she did YouTube. I'm like, what, are you, what have you not done? The YouTube thing has helped me a lot. I think the main things that helped me were that job I had with the literary manager, which I had for two years, and the YouTube thing. And the YouTube thing did not seem related. It, this is one of those crazy things where I was just like, I just need to do this because I'm passionate about it and I like it. And it was not related to anything. It was not narrative necessarily. It was creative. It wasn't just like blah, 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 one shot like rambling to the camera like but <laughs> it was not related to anything that I creatively wanted to do and that weirdly has helped me with so much because as it just so happens a lot of people in the industry now are really interested in that space or not just YouTube but interested in the digital space and like to talk to people who are savvy about that or who have that way of thinking or are familiar with that so that actually helped me get a lot of jobs after that or make me kind of a more appealing candidate to people, I think. I did an internship at DreamWorks, and I definitely feel like that that was something that they really liked, because people in this industry understand that we all watch things on the internet now, and are smart to want to learn more about it. So it's crazy. It's like these things that you don't think are related at all. And the other thing about that is that it was in front of camera, which writer is not, not a place that writers like to be, and probably not somewhere that I would be anytime soon for a prolonged period of time now that I'm really in the writing zone. But that actually helps a lot with just like not being shy. You and I were talking earlier about how writers can be very shy naturally in their personalities. And that was one of those things that it's like, oh yeah, you talk to a camera enough times. We made like over a hundred videos on that channel. And we did that for a job too. That was like a part-time job when we were working with the company. And then the company would send us to conventions and like all this kind of stuff. So just got like a lot better at talking to people. <laughs> that was the tangent. And that's a fantastic tangent. And I love it because now you're able to create, like you said, things in the digital space. You're consulting, you're working with different companies. So now let's get to the meat of it. Let's get to the Nick writing program. So how did that come about for you? Well, I had applied a lot of times, actually. <laughs> I had applied, you know, all this stuff they were talking about, the stuff from LA and all these random jobs, all those during that time, like, I'd basically applied, I'd applied like four times, I want to say, to the program. And like, I'd first learned about it in undergrad. So that's how long ago, you know, <laughs> I was applying. A teacher that I had, a screenwriting teacher named Cindy McCreary, had a little printout and it had all the fellowships and the different initiatives, diverse initiatives and all that stuff. And the Nick writing program was on that list. And this is like a long time ago because I'm like secretly kind of old. And so <laughs> the, <It's all> right. <laughs> it's everyone in the animation looks so young because we we're all children at heart. We're all wrong. We're all, we're all ageless <laughs> vampires. <laughs> I think it's because we're so happy. You know what? I I would not be surprised if that had something to do with it. Our that. inner child is showing on our faces. Mm -hmm. But it was like a long time ago. It was, you know, I was like, oh, cool, what is this thing? And, and the program's been around for a while. I don't know how many years, but it's been around for a long time. And so I'd applied like a bunch of times, and then I kind of stopped applying to a lot of the other ones. But I was 
actually in grad school, I, I ended up going back to school for animation at UCLA oh, yeah. for grad school because mm-hmm. I had realized after working for the Roald Dahl guy and all that that I really wanted to focus on animation. So I was like, How, what am I going to do? I'm like directionless again. So I had gone back to grad school to like learn more of a technical skill. And in one of those classes, I took a TV writing for animation class. And I really wasn't sure if I was going to take any more writing classes because that's what I focused on in my undergrad. But I had written a spec script. I was like, oh, whatever. I'll just see if it's different to write for daytime animation. And I'll get something written. So I like wrote a spec script in that class for Gravity Falls. And then like the class was over whatever. I don't remember how long it was, but it wasn't that far over. But the roll around for the Nick writing program submissions came again, came around again. And I realized that I had this Gravity Falls spec and it wasn't going to be good for very much longer because <laughs> the show <laughs> was right. announced to be ending. And so I was like, I should just apply again because <laughs> like, I was going to give it a shot. So I applied just to the Nick writing program, not to any of the other ones. Like I had already kind of fell off the wagon of applying and I applied with that one. And then like, you know, a year later, like however long it takes for the submission. It's like a very long submission process because there's a lot of applicants to these programs. But yeah, later I got a call that I actually was advancing in the Nick writing program. So that was very exciting. That's how it first came to be. So after they kind of do that call, there's like all these different stages. It's very competitive. And so I, I did the speed interviews, which is you come and interview for like three days nonstop at the studio. And so like I had, you know, advanced, advanced each stage, each time thinking, oh, well, if I made it this far, at least it's farther than I made it the other times. It's <laughs> a good attitude. Yeah. Because right. <laughs> like, you know, at that point you can't lose. I was already prepared to apply a billion times to this thing and never get in because sometimes I just feel like applying is a victory. <laughs> Gives you that deadline that we talked about is so beautiful. So each time I hadn't even, you know, none of the even times I even got like called back. So each time I'd be like, cool, this will be like the farthest I get. And then like they announced the semifinalists and the finalists on like the Facebook page. And I'm like, cool, like at least there's that. That's cool. Like that'll be something. And I really didn't think about if I was going to get in or not. It starts to get like a little nerve wracking when you get to like the very end because you're like, whoa, I really might get in. But I try not to think about it. And then I got the call like, a while later that I actually got in for this year's program, which was very exciting. So it's been a, an awesome year. We're at the end of it now. I only have about two weeks left, and it's been a very transformative year. <laughs> that is really exciting. I'm so glad, too, that you just went ahead and did it. You know, you already had the script. Like, you know what? I'm going to turn it in. I'm just going to see how it goes. And I love your whole attitude throughout it of, like you said, this is the farthest I've ever gotten. All right, that's great. Let's see how it goes, you know? That's really good. What really helps is to have a lot of logs in the fire, I think, because I try to just have that attitude and be like, well, you know, at least I have this other thing, so it's fine. So I try to, like, multitask a lot. This year I haven't really been able to because I've been really, like, dedicating to the program, of course. It's a great opportunity, and I want to, like, take advantage of it. 
the whole time that I'm here in the studio. But I always try to have multiple things going on. Like, you know, we were talking about even when I worked for the literary manager, I was doing YouTube and I like, you know, went back to grad school at one point. And but I was also trying to like work on this or that. So I think it just helps take the edge off a little bit. If you can go like, at least I have my whatever and my life won't be over (laughs) because it just takes a long time to do things and to make forward progress. So it's nice to have those little different leads. So I tried to remind myself, well, at least I like know how to animate now. And if I don't get in, I'll like just do something else. And it's fine to try to like take the nervousness off. (laughs) So going back to when you went to grad school for animation, you mentioned that originally you weren't planning on taking any writing classes. You ended up taking TV animation. Was that because you felt like, I've already taken some writing classes, so I just want to learn something completely different? Yeah, kind of. I just had done so many writing classes in between my undergrad and also when I came out for that year to do the professional program. You know, you can only take so many, I guess, before you're just like, all right, I need to just write, you know? And so it's like I had already been out here working and doing stuff for a few years and before I kind of realized, oh, all everything I write is for animation and this is like a new thing that I don't really know how to pursue. And I kind of like looked up people who I admired. I looked up Alex Hirsch, who created Gravity Falls, and how did he get in? And it's like, oh, he was a character designer and stuff. And I'm like, wow, everyone I look up who has a show that's animated, came from animation side and art side, and every like job I was looking at, once I decided I want to focus in on that and like shift my career over to that, was like all art-based. So I was like, man, hard for a writer for in animation out there. What am I going to do? And so that's why I ended up going to grad school for animation. And I wasn't planning on really taking writing classes because I was like, I don't want to like know I feel like if you take too many classes sometimes you're starting to like get in your head about it too much and so I didn't really plan on that I just wanted to learn something new and like accept this whole like artist part of myself and animator part but I liked the teacher who was taking the class like like, he had really cool credits like Batman and X-Men and stuff and so that was cool and so I was like well I'll just do it just so I can have the deadlines and write I guess and also see like if it's really that different. So that's kind of why I didn't veer towards that. That's a really good way to go about it. I want to write for animation. Let me see how animation works. Yeah. You know, because then you, you're you coming at it from all sides of it. Yeah, it was very useful. And it kind of, it's cool because I felt like, oh, this gives me like some good insights. This will give me like an edge. But actually like once now I've been in the program this year, I realized at the time before I went into that, I was like, I have to do art. I have to like know how to animate. These are the only jobs. This is the only path up to, to work in animation. But now that I've been in the program and met so many writers for animation, I'm like, that was wrong. Like there's totally writers in animation. <laughs> what am I talking about? And in fact, when I got here too, it was like, it's even kind of confusing that I'm like do both. Cause actually not a lot of people do both. And if they do, usually they're more like artists slash writers, whereas I'm more of a writer slash artist. Art is like my second love, (laughs) and I don't have as expansive of a skill on it. It's very like specific and stylized because I just haven't been, like I always doodled, but I am not like trained, Mm -hmm. professionally trained artist or anything, like all the talented people that work here, (laughs) which will definitely start to make you feel like you're not a good artist when you're surrounded by such good art all the time. But yeah, now that I've been in the program and it's really helped me kind of see the path to writing for animation 
I realized like, oh, you don't really have to know art. But it's nice because I do, it's a part of me and I do love drawing and animating and kind of sketching it out helps me think through what I'm trying to create. So I think for my like original ideas, the art really plays into it. But as far as writing, I don't know if this is a shocker to anyone, but when you first start in the industry, they don't just give you a show. That's your original idea. (laughs) Most writers (laughs) write on other people's shows. So as far as that, the art side doesn't really play into it, other than perhaps it gives me a good sensibility of what's possible, a little bit more cognizant of the production side. Maybe... I think more visually, but that could also just be because I realize that I do want to write for animation because that's just how my voice is. But yeah, it doesn't really play into it. I definitely am really writing focused right now from from being in the program, which is great. But I still animate it. I love it. <laughs> that's really cool. And you're right. I mean, they are definitely two distinct skills. And there are some people that have both. And there are some people, like you said, that are writer-artists, mm-hmm. artists-writers, and some that are writers, and some that are artists. And it's very... There's a very rare person I've found that not only can do both, but enjoys doing both, because there are some people that can do both, but they definitely would prefer to just stay over here, but they'll do this too if they need to. Yeah, that makes sense, that makes sense. Yeah, so what, because I know that with the writing program itself, you know, it's definitely a privilege to be in it, and, I certainly feel very lucky. Yeah, I'm privileged to be in it, and I know that in order to keep it as special and amazing as it is, you know, we're not going to talk like super, super, super into it. But for those out you, what can you say about it for people that are interested in it and curious about what it entails? Well, I definitely think that everyone should apply if they're interested in writing, or you don't have. I mean, you don't have to be interested in just writing for animation, like how I was. The other writers in the program who are great and flourished in the program don't necessarily, like they didn't have that goal in mind. So I definitely would say up front, everyone should apply. It's free and it's really great. I applied like four times and it didn't cost me a dime. (laughs) But the program itself is really cool because it's one of only like two programs that's a year long and it's paid. And so you get to focus on your craft. And so that's what I've really enjoyed this year is being able to come into work every day and focus on writing and learn things and focus on my craft. It really has pushed me a lot too. Like, it's not easy, you know. It's You go into this because you want to push yourself to the next level, ask yourself, like, how do I get there? How can I improve? And all this stuff. And I've gone through, like, a journey, you know. What you can expect is different for everyone, but I think probably everyone who goes through it is, is a very transformative process. And you don't go into it to be just kicking your feet up, probably. You go in because you're ready to work. So I've just had a very transformative year in that sense where it's, you know, I have been able to work on one half of your job is pitching yourself. And so I've been able to like, after we you know do these meet and greets, which are meetings with everyone around the studio and just tons and tons of them all the time. So I've become better at pitching myself just as a person in a really short amount of time. 
that would be very ironic because I rambled for so long on this podcast. But, you know, when I'm in a meeting, it's very succinct and it makes a narrative and it makes all sense, I promise. That's a huge skill that I wouldn't have gotten. And you can't really replicate that skill either because out in the wild, when you're going on these meetings, I mean, there's no way you're going on as many as we go on in this program, like in a concentrated amount of time. So I really feel like that's been huge just to like get those hours in and practice pitching myself. I also got to do this faux writer's room and that helped prepare me for the real writer's room when I got to sit on a show and be in the writer's room. So got all that experience of kind of training uh, for the social aspects. And we also get to do UCB, Upright Citizens Brigade, which is an improv theater for people who don't know. It's in, here in LA and also Chicago, New York. York. Yeah, I don't know. I'm like, there's California and then the rest of the country. country. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. But we get to do a class with with Upright Citizens Brigade, and I had already done all the levels of it. There's four improv levels, and I'd already done all those because I'm like a big improv person. Well, I used to be, and then I kind of like fell off of it like I'm just writing now I don't have time that's it's a big scene I don't you know it's not my like thing I'm focusing on but it was great because in the program we got to do another class so like I chose musical improv and did a musical improv class and like made up songs and that was like something new and exciting pushing myself like in a direction I normally wouldn't have had the opportunity for and and we do a UCB sketch class too so I got like a sketch packet now which was great so there's like all these kind of opportunities that are a bit more on the social side because like being in the room on a show is very you have to be a good writer in your thing but it's also you have to understand how to like be around people for a long time (laughs) and improv helps with that and in the sketch writing class it was very like you have to be a good writer, but also you have to know how to like pitch your sketch idea. And for all these things, I don't know if I was necessarily really great at any of those things, but I think I'm definitely better now that I had that chance to practice because it's like the first time you do it, I don't think anyone's going to be that great. Or you're not going to be perfect at least. I know. I can attest because I've done some improv. First time you do it, you're probably going to be quite bad. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you're like on a a scale of like just bad to worse, you know? (laughs) And no matter how much, like maybe it won't be super embarrassing, maybe you won't fall flat on your face. Like I feel like I definitely didn't fall flat on my face. I had experience and work experience before I came here to Nick, but you think you got it, but anytime you're really there, like right in the spotlight, it's time to, to go. You're like, wow, it turns out I haven't done this before (laughs) and so that's been really great this year in the program is to like I forget who says it that like the first 10,000 hours that you do or Malcolm Gladwell yeah that 10,000 hours thing helps you get I mean like we clock a lot of hours in this program so I feel like it helps get to that tipping point faster and in an environment where you're you get to you're allowed to do that and encouraged to learn and and try new things as opposed to like feeling that nervousness like my whole career rides on this moment and you know you know that feeling it's not true but like it's it's never true but also the danger with that too is when you're feeling that way and you're really in it sometimes you also project that and people see that and they're like ah and then they get nervous on your behalf and then it's just two nervous people or a nervous person in a group and that's just not a good it's not a good thing you gotta you gotta hide that from the public yeah, you gotta you just gotta be like all 
I definitely think you, I mean, everyone goes through that. You just got to like hide it. There's some, I, you know, I was going to say, I forget who said it, but probably a lot of people say that phrase, like, don't let them see you cry. Yeah. Which is great also, advice. Nick Wilde from, from Zootopia. <laughs> that was the last person I heard saying Oh, really? <laughs> I don't remember that part of Zootopia, as it turns <laughs> out. It's like, he said something like, don't let them see you cry or don't let them see you sweat. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, or, or sweat. I've heard sweat, too. Yeah, like, that's right. <laughs> yeah, but the best way to not do that is to, like, feel comfortable with yourself. You know, I feel like definitely in this program, it made sense that I didn't get in the program right out of school. And then I only got in once I worked for a while, soul searched, realized I really wanted to animation specifically and like found that place where I'm comfortable like I've already like I think if you came and did this right out of school or without having any work experience or anything it probably would like be hard to hide that a lot harder. like it helps after you just clock those hours like I still definitely feel like it's night and day from me in the beginning of the program to the end but and I was very nervous but like yeah it just I think it's just gonna happen. You're just gonna get nervous and you just have to like clock all these hours mm-hmm. so that it feels routine. So like that's one half of the program, right? Is just getting used, like so you, that, so that when you walk into an executive's office or something and you have to like talk to them, you're not like, oh God. You're like, yeah, this is something I do every day, whatever, it's fine. You're my 50th executive that I talk yeah. to, how you doing? And it's also like, they're just people. Like you're like, these are your friends, you know them, you work with them, they're your colleagues and stuff. So. It totally helps in like a mental and social and emotional way. But also, I feel like I'm definitely a better writer. There's that half of it, too. I look at stuff like I'm working on something right now, revisiting something that I had written right before the program. And I'm like, I'm going to spruce this up. But I'm like looking at it like, oh, my God, this is so bad. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, even though it's not that bad, it's like each stage you always feel that. It's I think it's like awesome if you feel that, though, because it means you improve. Like at the time, I felt like it was good. So that's as much as my mind could conceive at that moment. So now my mind can conceive that I can do a better job. So that's great. That reminds me of I'll go home at Christmas and I have a ton of art notebooks at home and once in a while I'll like go through them and just add a nostalgia and I'm like wow five years ago I thought that was a good drawing Oof. yeah <laughs> so you're right it's a good feeling of well but now I recognize this and I've gotten a lot better so that's a plus I know artists have that all the time, all the time. and it's so quick because it's visual and you're just mm-hmm. like oof and I'm you know like I said art is my second skill not my primary skill but I still like always drew and so I, I have that when I look at drawings like why did I think that was good what is this yeah, well, um, at the time it was yes it was exactly like at the time you wrote the script this was a solid script and now you have a year's worth of experience with talking to everyone and working on these projects and looking at it going now I know what to make now I know how to make this even better. Yeah, and a big part of the, and it's like, you know, the scripts aren't bad. Mm-hmm. You, you know, if you've gotten into the program, you probably did a pretty good job. But then when you get notes and you start to learn about things, it's like you just start to feel like, what? No, this wasn't good. <laughs> and it's like that feeling is is normal and it's not bad. It just means, oh, you're just raising your standards now and you're, you've learned more and now you know it could be better. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's like a horrible feeling usually, especially for artists, I think, when you look at that. But I feel like it should be a good, positive feeling that designates personal growth. So that's good. Because, like, a big thing we do in the program is write, obviously. Like, I talked about all this other stuff that's been a great 
opportunity, but we write a lot. And um, we have a mentor, Karen Kirkland, who runs the program, who is a great resource for, she's been a great resource for me in my writing. And so now I can hear her voice in my head sometimes <laughs> when I'm like editing. And I can also just start to sense from my own sensibilities what I need to edit and stuff. So the program has been real crazy. And now we're at the end, so you're getting all the like, the good, like, ah, oh, this was me in the beginning, and now this is the end, and I feel like I improved and all this stuff. So I don't know. I think, think it's like really been the thing that'll help me propel into writing, not having to necessarily take those odd jobs as much. It'll be really nice. <laughs> that is solid. Yeah. That is really solid. And congratulations again, because it is a tough program to get into, and there's a lot of a lot of hours, like you're talking about 10,000 hours, or a lot of hours and a lot of time spent writing and studying and writing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and get everything done. Yeah, it's, it was a lot of work. So th- mm-hmm. thank you, And but I also feel very lucky, and, and I do encourage people to apply. And like I also just think that these programs are awesome to help people who are kind of on the verge um, but need a little help or want a mentor or, you know, I don't know, there's like a certain type of person that I would be that it would be good for and that you're at that right time in your life that you would benefit from it. So I think they're awesome that they exist. And this is a good one. <laughs> this is where I wanted to be too, like here at Nickelodeon where there's like all these, like I want to be around animation. So also just happy to be around like brightly like we're in a bright orange room right now yeah <laughs> it can't help us like a bright orange room with really good lighting so what advice do you have for people who want to become writers specifically for television and movies because there's you know there's a lot of books on writing mm-hmm. there's a lot of schools about writing but is there like one thing or like a handful of things that you've learned that just really just really helped you out on your path? I mean, definitely this year I learned like hundreds of things probably that like, wow, there's just like so many little nuggets you learn, but I think that there's more obvious advice that for some reason people don't like they it's like probably anyone who's listening who wants to be a writer has like already heard this advice a billion times, but it's like just write. You should just write. And it sounds really cheesy, and I, like, kind of hate myself for, like, being part of the, the mass amount of cliche people that were, are, like, just write. But it's kind of, like, costs nothing to write, just a piece of paper and your brain. And I remember when I was in school, like, I would be amazed at stories that my teachers would tell of people who were, like, I want to be a writer. And they're, like, cool, send me your script. And they're, like, well, it's I mean, I have like half of a script, I'll send that to you. You know, like people just like don't write things and don't finish them. And I don't know what that is, but I mean, I feel like you should just try and get those 10,000 hours in and they won't be horrible. Like, I don't believe, like, I think he, he Gladwell says like, they'll be like really horrible. Like they won't be like horrible, but they'll just maybe be horrible in, in retrospect. So you don't have to feel bad about them. Yeah. I think just like going for it and writing and clocking that writing time and loving the process because if you're gonna do screen and TV writing, you're not writing the thing that's the final product. If you write a book, um, you'll you know you'll send it to your editor and and all that if it's getting published. But that is the form that it's gonna take. And if you're a TV or screenwriter, the thing you're writing is a blueprint for a movie or for an episode of TV. So I think you have to really love the process of it and the work and doing it. 
or like get to love it <laughs> because you don't get to see the end result right away when you finish. It's a little bit like thankless and you can't be result oriented because, you know, we all have goals and we strive to get those goals. Like I want to get this credit and like I want to get something made and I want to have this and this by the time I'm this age or whatever. And like that's all well and good and it's great to have a plan and great to have goals. But you can't be too result oriented in this industry because once you finish that script, you can't see it right away. And so it's you just kind of have to keep trekking and you do have a lot of logs in the fire at different times. And so I think just writing and enjoying the process of writing is a very helpful attitude to have. It probably sounds really obvious, but again, like I just hear so many stories of people who just like don't really do it, uh, or they're like, I have a really great idea, but I just need either someone to write it or like I need someone to hire me to write it. And it's like, I'm sure that you do have a great idea, but like so do all these other artists and writers. And our job is not to have that idea, but to execute it. So like you gotta be into the, execution that sounded dark not like execution (laughs) but like the execution (laughs) Um, so I think get comfortable with writing all the time and to just do it and go for it and don't doubt yourself too much because it's all gonna happen however it happens anyways so just try to like be true to yourself and that fine line of taking that mentorship and taking that guidance but also realizing that this art form is subjective. So it's like, be true to yourself, listen to people, but be true to yourself, but you know what? Just do it, just write. There's like so many different things, advicey things, but that one will probably apply to most situations. I feel like that's true. Just bottom line, do the thing you wanna do. Yeah, just do the thing and don't let things stop you. Don't try to chase the trend or don't try to be like, oh, what this isn't going to get made or whatever. It's like, yeah, just do the thing. You, you know, this industry is very changing, and all you can do is yeah. <laughs> try to be yourself. Well, and something I've heard from other professionals, too, which I've mentioned on the show before, is the other reason you don't want to chase the trend is by the time you see that trend, especially in movies or television, that's a trend that most likely happened two to four years ago. So it's not even a current trend. It's something that was popular at the time that it was being written being animated yeah it's just a never-ending chase man especially in animation you know saying oh if you write a movie or tv or something you're not going to see it for a while in animation you're really not going to see it for a while i see it five years later it takes a long time to animate things spoiler alert yeah (laughs) so you got you just got to love what you're doing at the time and not be in it for the glory take it when you can celebrate it take credit for like the stuff you do but just like Oof, you won't see that for a while. So <laughs> hope you like the in-between stuff. Hey, like you said, and if you enjoy the process, then that in and of itself is going to be, you know, yeah. enjoyable and fun. A rewarding experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So Mia, where can people find you online? I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Mia Rosella, M-I-A-R-E-S-E-L-L-A. And I also have a website, which is miarisellaisagrownup.com, that I sporadically remember to update. Those are the main ways to find me. I'm not really super active on YouTube anymore since, like I said, I've been very dedicated to the recent wave of amazing opportunities of this year and the last couple of years. But you could always Google. You could do a Google search and embarrass me. <laughs> <laughs> I think those videos are great. So... Like I said, my former life. Your my former, former life. life. My former life. <laughs> now, 
Well, great. Well, Mia, thank you so much for your time. You've been very generous with your time. Really appreciate getting a chance to talk with you today and hearing your story and your tales and travels and <laughs> school and internships. So thank you again. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Angela. And that concludes my interview with Mia Rosella. Special thanks to Mia for being a fantastic guest. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure to leave a five-star review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And you can also support the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com and clicking on the PayPal donation button on the right-hand side of the homepage. All of your donations help more and more people to find out about the show. And you can also support the show by supporting our sponsors, Amazon, Audible, Loot Crate, and Blueberry Podcast Hosting. Every time you click on one of the banner ads on the website and make a purchase, a little bit of money comes back to the show, and it helps me to pay for technical costs. So thank you to everyone who has left a review, as well as everyone who has donated to the show and everyone who has supported one of the sponsors. I sincerely appreciate it. And to see what else is going on in the world of animation, you can become a fan on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash the animated journey on tumblr the site is the animated and on instagram and twitter the handle is at anim journey and to see what i've been up to lately you can visit my website at www.sketchysoul.com on tumblr the site is sketchysoul.tumblr.com and on instagram and twitter the handle is at sketchysoul So tune in next time for another episode of the podcast. And as always, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody.